The University of Central Missouri is an institution like no other. From its roots as a progressive teacher's college founded after one of the most tragic periods in our nation's history, to today where it is an internationally recognized university with over 12,000 students studying over 100 majors. In a world that is ever-changing, the University of Central Missouri has produced the students who change it. The University of Central Missouri provides students from across the globe not just an education, but a sense of community, service, and purpose. Join us as we explore that journey through the tragedies of war, the triumphs of peace, and the ultimate goal of education for service. This is the history of the University of Central Missouri. The beginning of the 1970s brought another name change to the school, replacing the word college with university, the school would go forth as Central Missouri State University. This decade proved to be less tumultuous than the last, but the frenetic path of growth for the campus didn't slow. Ashley McGuffey, author, University of Central Missouri, 150 years of education for service. The 70s is really when a lot of the uh, women's sports on campus that had, that had been a part of campus history since 1903 with the first girls basketball team um, finally got the recognition they deserved and were finally made official teams and sports of the university. Um, so similarly to the uh, mascot competition, another competition was held to find a mascot for the Jennies um, and alumni Cynthia Al. Almarger, I butchered her name and I apologize. Um, she won that and I think she got another life subscription to the student newspaper. Um, and so we have the Jennies and when it was first <laughs> proposed, it had a cute little bow coming off the oh. back. Uh, but now it's just the same as uh, the fighting mule that we have. So um, the multi was built with student funds. The, the student governing body went around and pulled students and asked them, you know, would they want an athletics building built? And like students could use it as well, but primarily it would serve to uh, house equipment and training facilities for the athletics teams. And everyone actually said, yes, they would really love that. And so that, that's where our support for our teams really became big is when we got some of the first, like our first athletics building. Originally founded as a teacher's college, events over the years had changed the direction of the university significantly. While education was a major focus of the school, it had expanded in other areas so much that it was not its primary focus. As such, a difficult decision came when College High, renamed University High, was shut down after graduating its final class in 1976. University Elementary closed shortly after, ending nearly a century of K-12 education on campus. Jeff Murphy, graduate of University High, Assistant Director of Media Relations, University of Central Missouri. I remember the, the day the announcement was made, we were all called into an assembly, an all-school assembly, and Dean Leroy Barrows uh, who was uh, oversaw the College of Education at that time, came in and um, made the announcement. 
And I, I just remember a lot of tears, not only from the graduating class, it kind of felt like, you know, a part of them was going away. But the students who had gone through one, two, three, three years of study there and weren't going to be able to finish their degree there. And that was something that was very special to them to be able to do that. A lot of them went to Warrensburg High and they had wonderful experiences once they got there. But leaving the university high behind was very difficult for a lot of them. And it was just a, a special place, and to see it, to see it go was hard. Student population had been kind of dwindling for Central Elementary and University High uh, towards towards the 1970s in general. Um, there were just more students were going to the Warrensburg School District or the other surrounding school districts simply because alumni of the university and the education program. Uh, were teaching there, and so st parents wanted their students taught by, you know, well-taught teachers. And not to say that the the teachers teaching in the uh, in the laboratory schools weren't; they were fantastic as well. It's just that um, they were they were gravitating more towards the public school district, and it really just caused the laboratory schools to not be able to function as well, simply because they just had such a low number of students, so they finally just closed. University High was a, a wonderful school, and I'm very fortunate to have been able to attend there. I started in 1972, and I graduated in 1976. I was in the last class to graduate. I was in the only class to go through the entire school under the name University High, but it was a small school by numbers. There were 200 or fewer students who attended the high school. There was also an elementary school, K through eighth grade. I know a number of students I went to high school with who attended all the way through elementary, all the way through university high, and even got their degree here. So there's a, I think there's a strong attachment to the school from those who had the opportunity to, to attend there. It was um, the experience of, of being on a college campus and, and being in a high school is also attending a high school is very unique. For me, it made the transition from high school to college an easy one because I was already familiar with the university and I knew some of the teachers I had in my classes were part of the university and as I went to as I graduated, I, I didn't even think about wanting to go somewhere else. It was just a wonderful school. Very glad I had that opportunity. Some of the teachers I uh, really appreciated, one was Patricia Ca Cameron, who taught uh, literature and composition, English courses, also journalism. I learned a lot under her. I had, had no idea when I started taking her class. First day of class, I was chewing gum and she made threatened to make me go stand out in the hall. <laughs> and I, I was someone who didn't chew gum very often. But she, uh, I had no idea when I started with her that I would eventually be going down a career path that she had an interest in. So I think she influenced me a lot more than I ever would have imagined. Um, another person, Clarence Pierce, vocational agriculture teacher who taught students a lot about leadership 
and also just about how to treat other people in general. Get a lot of great lessons, not only in the classes I, he taught, but just about life in general through Clarence Pierce. And we just had a tremendous group of teachers and students that uh, many have gone on to do some great things and very proud to have been part of that whole school. After 23 years of service to the university, President Warren Lovinger retired. His successor would be James M. Horner. President Horner came to CMSU from Illinois State University where he served as vice president and provost. President Horner continued Lovinger's campus expansion and administrative restructuring, including appointing the university's first provost. After nearly 40 years of unfettered growth, the university began to experience a retraction in student enrollment and retention. This combined with reductions of state funding for higher education led to difficult times for the university. President Horner did what he could to keep tuition low and engage the students. However, he was an educator at heart who missed teaching. President Horner actually came in during another time of budget cuts. And so I think he did his best with what he had. It's just, he had almost nothing. <laughs> and, but people still wanted money for their programs or, you know, their teams or their organizations. And so he really just wasn't in a position to be able to give people what they needed. And it really was a, another hard time for the university. We've faced really so many budget cuts. Um, during this time. And it just, it also corresponded with a lower number of students going to universities as well. And so it was just really hard. He did his best for the time that he was here, um, but he eventually wanted just, just to get back into teaching. And so he started teaching mathematics here, but then moved on to uh, different schools and left. 1984 brought a major accomplishment for university athletics in the form of not one, but two NCAA Division II championship wins for the men's and women's basketball teams. Showcasing the strength of the university athletic department, this is the only time the same institution won both honors in the same year. Jerry Hughes, Vice President, Intercollegiate Athletics, University of Central Missouri. So after the Mules had won their game, I came back up and uh, the Jennies were playing Virginia Union. And Virginia Union uh, was, a, was obviously a very good team, but I came back up after the press conferences and we were up by 20 some points. I think they, they got so much momentum from seeing the Mules win, they came on the floor and they, 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 won, they ended up winning 80 to 73, but they led the whole way. So within about two hours, I'm sorry, five hours, we won two national championships. After the game, you know, in 1984, you know, I'm 35 years old. And a gentleman by the name of Lee Williams from out in Springfield, who was the executive director of the Basketball Hall of Fame, came up to me on the court, shook my hand, congratulated me. He said, Jerry, I want to tell you, he said, that's a great accomplishment and that will never happen again. And I thought, well, you know, maybe, you know, young, I thought maybe that would happen again. But then he was very, very prolific because after that, a couple of years, they separated the men's and women's Division II national championships. So they will never be at the same site again, let alone on the same floor. So it, it was a great experience. We had a lot of fans there. 
we had a celebration back in the uh, hotel afterwards. We came back to campus, uh, had a celebration on Monday here in the multipurpose building, and it was packed. Uh, governor Bond, Kit Bond was the governor then, he came to the celebration. Uh, we got a telegram from Ronald Reagan, who was the president, who we have framed here in the trophy cases up here in the multi, congratulating the teams on their dual national championship. So it was a, it was a great event. Uh, I heard, I wasn't here, I heard that people were partying on Pine Street and they ended up closing Pine Street at each end and just let them empty out of the bars and party in the street uh, throughout that night. So it, it, it was a great celebration. Replacing President Horner was the charismatic and energetic president of Wayne State University, Ed Elliott. President Elliott was not a stranger to CMSU as his wife Sandra graduated from the college in 1961 with the two marrying in the Memorial Chapel. Sandra Elliott, former First Lady, Central Missouri State University. My parents moved to Grain Valley when I was in the eighth grade. And his family were residents of that community. So we met when he was a freshman and I was in the eighth grade. We went together in high school. He's a year older. Then we didn't go together in college. And toward the end of my junior year, we started dating again decided to get married, and I wanted to be married on campus. And we were married in what I call the prayer room of the chapel. It's a very small room on the east side. Lovely. And you can't get from the main chapel into the prayer room. There is no door. So we were married there in 1960. Oh, it's such a small room. We only had each of our parents, I think he had three siblings, I had two. My sister-in-law was my maid of honor. Uh, Don was Ed's best man. And we're so glad we got married there. Yeah. It's, it's just been a wonderful part of our life. And then for our 60th, uh, Dr. Best left the door open so we could go back in. <laughs> Dr. Ed Elliott, former president, Central Missouri State University. The other thing that, um, that was... Uh, was fun about it is that Sandra was student teaching at the time, and so she had to, to uh, cut her teaching duties short to get to the camp, back to the campus because she was at Ruskin doing her student teaching. I was teaching and coaching at Harrisonville, and so I had to leave right after uh, football practice to get to campus, and we brought our entire wealth with us. President Elliott's tenure marked both a modernization and beautification of campus. His first order of business was to create a new mission statement and institutional plan that were focused on the growth and expansion of the school. You, you have to think back in order to answer that uh, question. Everybody involved with uh, the university has to think back to uh, uh, the mid-1980s, the early 1980s, uh, the end of one presidential tenure that was really very long and the beginning of another one, and, and all the changes that, uh, that needed to occur, some did occur. Um, but the campus, when we went to interview in the spring of 1985, um, the campus was in a bit of a state of disrepair. Um, and so we realized straight away that um, there would be some challenges, 
But Sandra and I talked about it and we thought that it, they would be manageable. Um, we loved the idea of moving back to our home state and to her alma mater and to an institution that I had grown to love just because of attending events there. But we knew that there would be some challenges. Um, one of the things that I found during that interview process was that there just were literally hundreds of very talented people who had retired and remained uh, in the community or around the community who were being untapped, retired faculty members. And so I said to Sandra, one of the things that we're gonna do, uh, the one of the first things is create an Emeriti Association and get those faculty members back officially engaged with the institution. And uh, we knew that because of the declining student enrollment, at the time that we were interviewed, they were going through a retrenchment process. And I said to the interview committee and I said to the board, um, I don't believe in doing that to an institution that is as comprehensive as, uh, as this institution is and that is in the geographic location such as uh, uh, CMS is. And we made sure that we had a marketing program in place. Um, did uh, lots of television spots at uh, area stations. We, we had uh, uh, students performing in area high schools as an outreach program, but, but uh, those were two of the things that we knew we wanted to do. And I wanted to create the campus to make it into a much more beautiful area. And that's where the, the art displays, uh, uh, the sculpture garden came into uh, uh, realization was because of that. So we knew that there was going to be a lot of work. And I, I have to admit that uh, Sandra and Grant, uh, our older boys were already in college, and but Sandra and Grant were still in Wayne, Nebraska. And I went to the office the first day um, and I picked up the phone and I said, I don't know what I've gotten us into <laughs> because it was uh, it was uh, pretty overwhelming, but uh, we uh, we stuck with it and, and uh, put the plans into effect and had a very supportive board of trustees then and uh, uh, a faculty and a student body and an alumni base and a community of Warrensburg, uh, all of whom were eager to make sure that Central uh, got their act together, cranked things up and uh, made things happen. President Elliott was a staunch supporter of arts on campus. During his tenure as part of the campus beautification project, he oversaw the installation of many art pieces and monuments across campus. This time also saw the creation of the premier performances, cultural and artistic series, which later became the performing arts series. To us, those were kind of package deals uh, in terms of our own thinking, the, the, the discussions that Sandra and I would have uh, when we were in the leadership responsibilities at a different institution and particularly at Central Missouri, um, that, um, that performing arts were critical to the, uh, to the institution where we were and we wanted it to be similarly inclined at Central Missouri and the talent obviously uh, was, was there. Uh, the sculpture gardens, you know, art in and of itself is a universal language. It's, it's, a, it's a means to communicate universally. I don't care whether you're looking at art in Italy or Denmark or uh, Tanzania or Warrensburg, Missouri. There, there is a universal 
beauty and language about all forms of art. And, and that's not my idea. That's the idea that we picked up uh, from our art department at, at Wayne State. And we wanted to make sure that to the extent that we were able, that we would transmit that and in, in, in incorporate that into the activities at Central Missouri. So the very first sculpture that I purchased was not without a lot of controversy. And it's the one, I can't remember the name of it, but it sits uh, just to the east of the business building and it looks like a deprived uh, skeleton of <laughs> iron. And, and uh, so we, we took a little heat for that, but they got better over time. And, and uh, the more uh, we, we did it, the more the campus became proud of what was going on. The grounds crew then mm -hmm. made a commitment uh, that uh, the grounds crew as a whole was not responsible for everything. So they assigned people to the quad or to this part of campus. One of the most significant renovations ever to happen on campus was the revitalization of the student union in the early 90s. With the growth of student life came a need for more student recreational spaces, and the campus had very nearly outgrown the union. An additional wing was added on the northeast of the building, and the atrium was expanded. The Smizer Alumni Center was constructed on the southwest side of the building to serve as the permanent home for the Alumni Association and now houses the University Foundation. I had a wonderful experience calling on a guy by the name of Sam Smizer. The Alumni Center is named after Sam Smizer. Most people don't remember Sam. He was a student, a physics major, uh, had his own freight company in California and had mules sent from Missouri mascot. Uh, I called on Sam. He said, um, when I called and wanted to come out and visit, he said, now I've got a, I've got a parade that I need to be in. I want you to ride with me. Well, I'm in my blue coat and my tie and sitting in a rough old wagon pulled by- He went through a Dairy Queen or- 16 a... <laughs> mules, I think 12, maybe, right maybe it was an eight mule. Thing. I don't know, a lot of mules pulling that wagon. And Sam says, I need a hamburger. And so he took it through the McDonald's drive-in. And then as we were in the parade, he's holding the reins here, I'm sitting here, and Sam goes to sleep holding the reins. And I'm saying, dear God, what, am I, what do I do here? Well, the horses just, you know, the, the, the meals just kept going. Um, and I asked Sam for a million dollars with Marilyn Landers. She was by my side and he could not hear thunder. That's what he said. I think he could hear a lot. And um, I asked him for a million dollars to, to uh, provide the principal support to build an alumni center. And Marilyn and, wrote it all out. And Marilyn wrote it out. So, but, because but, he said he couldn't hear. But Sam then said to me, by God, I'll do that 750,000. <laughs> I thought, I just got whacked. <laughs> but he did. He gave us three quarters of a million dollars to, uh, to start the, the construction of the Smizer project. Absolute thrill. Mirroring the early 70s, the early 90s found the university confronting racial issues again. In the early morning of April 30th, 1992, a fire broke out in Ellis Hall, damaging the television lounge. Unfair and prejudiced assumptions were made as to who started the fire. This resulted in demonstrations on campus and in the community. 
In the early 90s, there was another resurgence of civil rights issues. Um, it's not like they'd ever gone away. They'd just been swept under the rug. And they finally came to head again with the Rodney King incident. And uh, that was felt on campus. And so there, there were protests on campus. But really what kicked off the real protests and issues we had on campus was there was an electrical fire in Ellis, and it was an electrical fire, but unfair accusations were made about it possibly being set by a certain demographic on, on campus, and that kicked off protests, and, and they were very unfair accusations. It was an electrical fire, and so that kicked off protests that uh, of things that had already been being felt anyway, and so... What finally happened was President Elliott held a massive assembly on the football field for anyone to come and just speak their piece. And what came of that was several committees for uh, African-American students, for racial relations on campus, for disciplinary uh, actions that need that needed to take place for racial issues. Um, so like for hate crimes and whatnot, um, and committees for just for like international students and people of color on campus. And so we also got like the Africana studies classes becoming more of a thing. Um, and so we really were trying, uh, our best at the time to be the like university for equality. President Elliott met with the African-American student leaders to discuss their concerns and held a rally at Walton Stadium to further discuss the issues at hand. Dr. Dalia Cook-Gillis, Professor of History and Africana Studies, University of Central Missouri. But it was very unsettling to the African-American community. And I think anyone who watched it and thought about the way that they beat this man on television, because it's always about, do you have the evidence? Do you have the proof? And so now you're telling me my eyes are lying, because basically that's what the verdict says. No, you didn't see what you thought you saw. Also, that premise of he deserved it, because had he done not so. So that's wrapped up in a lot of historical trauma for the African-American community. And I think the point is, does the does the punishment fit the crime? Uh, it was a very important time for the two of us um, uh, and for the campus and for the community um, from a cultural diversity standpoint, from a racial standpoint. I think that, um, to be quite honest about it, I hadn't we, we had a wonderful mix of students on campus during the late 80s and early 90s and throughout my entire tenure as president. But I think I probably took um, uh, communication and input from, uh, from diverse groups for granted and should not have. The Rodney King uh, arrest and beating in California precipitated a lot of racial unrest around the country. Um, we had some provocateurs uh, come to campus, and they took students downtown Warrensburg and did some significant physical damage to the campus, and they realized that that wasn't going to uh, be popular, and the local police um, were, were giving them a hard time, so they decided to come to Selmo Park. 
nice big open space and and um, wanted to talk to us. And of course, uh, it was late at night and my board members gave me a hard time because uh, before I would come out to visit with students, I had to put on my coat and tie. And so it was midnight and we had a yard full of students who were uh, uh, protesting some of them protesting the quality of the food, some of them protesting the, their dislike for a professor, but all of them had something on their mind. So um, much to Sandra's chagrin and much to Chief Jim Huff's chagrin, I walked right out in the middle with the group. And he joined the march. Found the leaders <laughs> and said, I'm with you. Let's, let's go. Let's talk. And we did and uh, lasted most of the rest of the night. Um, and then the next day I arranged for um, there to be a, a rally of all students down in the old stadium. It wasn't the new stadium at the time. Um, and we had a good turnout and we had lots of people speaking, some of them angry, mm -hmm. some of them quite positive. Um, and the one thing that, that specifically derived from those discussions was I created, and it was the first such position around the country, a position called the student advocate. And that person's responsibility was solely devoted to meeting with diverse groups of people, regardless of race or creed or religious uh, tie, uh, to meet with them and ask about their needs and, and how things were going in the classroom and how they were progressing. Um, and it, it, it helped immensely. And I don't know that that position still exists today, but it exists in some manner on the campus. Um, and, but, but again, I blame myself for not having done that before. I should have paid attention to, uh, to that kind of communication vehicle and did not pay close enough attention to it, but, but it all worked out. And uh, uh, I think the campus was much better for it. Despite the difficulties at the beginning of the decade, the campus continued to experience a rejuvenation. A new football stadium was constructed with a generous donation from Audrey J. Walton, and it now bears her name. Relatively around 1994, we were having a normal inspection of the, of the stadium that we did. Because, you know, it was built in the 20s, and the engineers were underneath it, and they literally put a hammer through one of the beams, steel beams, that had rusted out so bad. So the stadium ended up getting condemned. So we brought a company in to, with lumber, shore the stadium up, and we had one year, that one more year that we could play it in that condition. Uh, so I was on your station on the sports page talking about it, and my mom, who lived in Versailles, Missouri, and Audie Walton, who was her best friend, were watching the show. They heard about it. The next day, Mrs. Walton called me and said, can I contribute to building you a new stadium? So that's how it all happened. She donated the money, and we built Walton Stadium in 95, opened it in 96. 1994 was our first uh, baseball national championship. Uh, we'd gotten to the regional three or four times during our career, and this was our first time making it to Montgomery. Montgomery, Alabama is where the championship was played at that point in time. And uh, we had a great run through the tournament and, and beat Florida Southern 14 to nine in, in a really good baseball game that we blew open in the late innings of the game. 
but it you know it once again it was just a testament to <clears throat> the team and the chemistry of the team and the unique thing about that championship was uh, Dennis Woody was my baseball coach starting that that 93-94 school year in December he resigned to take a scouting job with the Kansas City Royals and so I hired a young man by the name of Dave Van Horn, who was originally from Winnetonka High School in Kansas City. He, Dave was coaching a junior college down in Texas. So I hired Dave to coach the team. He took the team that he had left by Dennis and won the national championship. Dave resigned right after that season and went to Northwest Louisiana as the baseball coach ultimately ended up at the University of Nebraska a few years later and took them to two Division I College World Series. And now Dave's the head coach at University of Arkansas. And Arkansas has an outstanding baseball program. And that was his dream job because he had played at Arkansas. So his dream job was to be back at Arkansas. And Dave and I talked quite often. But it was really unique to have someone be here literally from December till June and win a national championship. The most significant construction project at this time came in the form of a new campus library. The Ward Edwards Library had expanded multiple times, but the building had reached critical mass, and the archival and technological needs of the institution had exceeded its capacity for additional growth. A new library was constructed on the southeast side of campus, the James C. Kirkpatrick Library, named for the long-serving Missouri Secretary of State and CMSU graduate, opened in 1999. Well, Kirkpatrick Library, you know, the, some people uh, were uh, perplexed about why Ward Edwards was no longer desired by the library staff. Um, Paul Rao was the uh, head librarian at that time, and he came to me and, and had a proposal and it was endorsed by, I think, most of the students and faculty, um, certainly associated with the, with the library. Um, but there's no way to raise money to build a library. It, it's hard to get donors to contribute to something like that, as meaningful it is, as it is to the campus. So uh, this was uh, something that Sandra and I stewed about, thought about, and the board said, well, let's talk about it. Um, at midnight one night, we had gone to bed and I was still, this was early in the discussion about building a new library. And I said, Sandra, I know how we can get the state appropriation that we need to build this library. Jimmy Kirkpatrick was alive and well on our campus, had an office that was a duplicate of his, sec his secretary of state office down in Jeff City. And I said, I'm going to get the board to name this before we have a dollar raised for it as the James C. Kirkpatrick Library. She said, I think that's a wonderful idea. Nobody else thought it was a wonderful idea, <laughs> but we decided to do it. Now, imagine yourself as a state legislator, Senate or House, having the president of Central Missouri State University come to your office with James C. Kirkpatrick and ask for your support for a library to be named after this gentleman. Not very many people said no. <laughs> and as a result, we got the largest state appropriation in the history of the university 
to start the construction of James C. Kirkpatrick. Now we did have about a six or $7 million uh, private fund campaign to fully support it, but we got in excess of $30 million. Now the, the university has gotten a larger commitment of funds since then, but that was from student debt, not from the state. But this came from the state and there were a lot of uh, legislators that weren't exactly thrilled and happy by what President Elliott did. But you know what? It worked. It is an absolute gem. It's the crown jewel of Central Missouri, University of Central Missouri. That was a wonderful experience. The end of the century and of the millennium brought an end to President Elliott's tenure at the university. After 14 years of service and countless accomplishments, he announced his retirement in 1999.